0: It's Tuesday, July 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hell, joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Rule Breakers, Aaron Bush. Happy Prime Day. Happy Prime Day. I saw on Twitter that it's an actual Prime Number Day. So it's 07 Sounds right. So I don't know if uh, I like to think that somewhere Jeff Bezos knew that. <laughs> It's he's, part of his master plan. He's seen, I, I, didn't, I wasn't even chucking it up to a master plan. He just <laughs> seems geeky enough that he's excited that on Amazon Prime Day, it is actually a prime number. And we're going to talk about Prime Day. We're also going to get into the looming battle between Google and Facebook and what appears to be every newspaper in the United States of America. And we're going to talk about CRISPR. And the first thing we'll do with CRISPR is explain what in God's name is CRISPR. Some of you may not already know, I was completely in the dark on this. But let's start with Prime Day. This is dominating the business media today because this started two years ago on Amazon's 20th anniversary as a company. And I, you and I were talking yesterday, and I confess to you that even as an Amazon shareholder, when Prime Day came up two years ago, I just remember thinking, this seems kind of cheesy. This just, this just seems <laughs> li-. like I get it's their twentieth anniversary, but it just seems like a pretty shameless way to get people to sign up for Amazon Prime. And uh, as an investor, I should have been thinking, oh look, a great way to get people <laughs> into Amazon Prime. And even though they had problems in twenty fifteen, and and frankly, the the press coverage wasn't all that positive either. This this is one of those things that. It only takes us two years, and, and for some people, they saw it in the moment, but now we can just look back and say, oh, this was yet another masterstroke by Amazon.
1: Yeah, I think Prime Day is a bigger deal than people think it is. Um, I mean, absolutely, it helps acquire new new customers, new Prime members, but I think that's probably actually most relevant internationally. So, if you think like India or Mexico, where they're more new and haven't really won over the space yet, having Prime Day is something that no one else can really do. And so it attracts a lot of attention, Um, and also they can use Prime Day to leverage the the members that they already have. And so I was just looking this year; it seems to be all about the Echo, right? I won't say the A word, but um
0: (laughs) yes, because we've been we've been uh, it has been helpfully pointed out by some of our listeners. If you say you need to call the Amazon Echo by its name, which is the Amazon Echo. If you say, as Aaron said, the A word. Then, for anyone who's actually listening on their echo, it activates the echo and, and sort of messes up the listening experience. So, thank you for <laughs> absolutely <laughs> Sorry, Go ahead.
1: But, anyways, when consumers who have an echo are able to get deals earlier, and sometimes they have more um, echo specific deals, and of course, the echoes are on sale too. So, it's just driving what they want to be driven. Um, and then, lastly, and I think this is probably a bit more under the radar, but this actually affects the sellers too. So over the past several quarters, there's been um, an acceleration of of third party sellers who are moving their services to fulfillment by Amazon, in which case they can take advantage of the manufacturing and the logistics and be eligible on Prime. And and it, what's really interesting to me is like if you play Prime Day forward, you can see like how they can add more more tactics and a strategy to it. Whenever they launch a new service or device or even this Whole Foods deal. Just think about like what they could do with Prime Day for that. Or even like the past couple weeks, they, they brought Nike on and built a storefront for Nike, or are going to. Bigger customers, bigger brands could also have a presence on Prime Day, too. So, I think Prime Day is just getting started.
0: And if you think back to, again, for, for those who weren't paying attention in 2015 when this happened, uh, you saw, I'm going to say on balance, uh, negative coverage of this. Mm-hmm. The, you know, e- even people in the business media who are saying, "Well, we don't know exactly how many new Prime members they signed up, but they probably signed up a bunch." So long term, this was a win, but short term, Amazon took a little bit of a reputational hit because there were some technical glitches. Um, there, there were a lot of accusations of sort of bait and switch, similar to what we see on black friday with yeah. traditional bricks and mortar retailers where they're advertising the you know the 90-inch flat screen tv to get you in the door and then they only have a few of them on hand and then it's like well we don't have those but you know same sort of things and and i just remember people were generating lists of, of pretty absurd esoteric products that were on sale for prime day that you would just sort of look at and think who who is buying this you know 55 gallon <laughs> tub of you know vaseline
1: Hey, don't judge. I'm
0: not. But it does, you know. It it does sort of, you know, as you talked about. If you play this forward, you can think about the different things they can do with it. In in a way, um, Amazon's first Prime Day was always going to be their worst in terms of the experience because they do what they do at Amazon, which is they they put something out there. And then they say, "Okay, this worked. This didn't. How do we make it better?" Um, Just way back in the day, when they were just focused on, "Well, what does the main page of Amazon look like, and what are people clicking on, and how do we make the experience more seamless?" Uh, It it really seems. I mean, I'm going to be doing some shopping today. I didn't do it on either of the last two, but they've they've again they've gotten better at it.
1: Yeah. Well, if you need any ideas, I have a I have a couple for you. Oh, okay. I, I, I pulled in. Nice. So uh, the Roomba today I noticed thirty three percent off. Okay. Um, you can get um Yeti garden statues for thirty percent off.
0: Wait a minute. The Yeti garden statue. I'd, I've only ever seen that in the old. Um, I'm blanking on the name of the. There used to be the magazine that you would get. It, it was a catalog you would get on airlines, and <laughs> and there would be a Yeti statue. Is this the big one? Is this is like this is like the six foot Yeti statue.
1: I think so. There are various versions on, and you can get them all. on Thirty three percent off? Uh, I think this is more like thirty percent off, but
0: still. Uh, all right, get with me right after the episode because I mean, anyone who's ever walked around Fool Headquarters knows that a, a large Yeti statue would not be out of place. <laughs> no, not at all. Just in a corner somewhere. Uh, let's move on to the news business. As I mentioned, um, this, this is going to be something to watch. Uh, this is um, newspaper publishers through their trade association, which is the News Media Alliance. And if you're old like me, you remember uh, back in the day, this was the Newspaper Association of America. So The News Media Alliance, which represents 2,000 newspapers in the U.S. and Canada, including, by the way, Wall Street Journal and and this is a story from the journal so you have to assume that they are at least tacitly involved in this. Newspaper publishers are calling on the United States Congress to allow them to negotiate collectively with Google and Facebook as what they are calling a digital duopoly which increasingly dominates online advertising and news distribution and that part is not new. This is something we've talked about a bunch of times before the growth in digital advertising over the last year or two has been captured almost entirely if not entirely mm-hmm. by Google and Facebook and now you have every newspaper in north america <laughs> essentially going to the congress and saying hey we would like you know the the old antitrust uh, rules that are in place don't apply here we would like a waiver for this and I don't know. I could. I I mean, the thing about members of Congress is, is every one of them has got a bunch of newspapers back in their district or their home state, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Is this, if you are Google and Facebook, are you worried about this at all? Are you putting your lawyers on this to any significant degree, or do you just think, nah, this isn't really going anywhere?
1: I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think. I, it, it's kind of interesting because of kind of the legal angle on it, like how it could have an effect for the newspapers. But at the end of the day, I think, I think that what they're pushing for doesn't make any sense at all. And and their argument, in my opinion, is built off a myth. And the myth is that Facebook and Google are using their dominance to purposefully harm traditional media companies. And that's just not true at all. There's nothing purposeful about it. It's it just, might be
0: a byproduct. But That's, that's not byproduct. the goal.
1: Yeah, so it's just like it's the it's the new rules of playing a new game. And so if you think about it, Google and Facebook are digital aggregators here, and the economics of content fundamentally changes on aggregated platforms. So it's not wrongdoing in any way at all. It's just a new reality, and that new reality. Means that newspapers and other media companies have no choice but to engage in perfect competition on those sites because it's just a void that needs to be filled on people's timelines. And that essentially means commodity products with zero marginal cost. And the main issue here for the publishers is that they're still built for the old way of doing things, not the new one. They have large fixed costs, you know, salaries. marketing budgets, all of that kind of stuff. And they're still reliant on a daily basis on the traffic and data that the aggregators um, have, just so that they can stay afloat. And what the News Media Alliance is pushing for is essentially an escape from perfect competition and begging for a way to make the old business model still work in a completely new world. Um, But the truth that I think is maybe a little too uh, understood is that, Newspapers made money in the past not by adding societal value. They made it by perhaps ironically having monopolistic control of print advertising in whatever geographic region that they're in. And why Facebook and Google are so powerful here is because they stole newspapers advertising dollars, not their reporting, right? And so it really is just a simple business model problem and none of that is going to change. Like what like what would be needed for this to change is like fundamentally Um, altering the way that Facebook feeds work, or Google searches work in the first place. and That's just not going to happen. And So, I think what we're going to see is probably a fallout even more in newspapers, but those who survive will be the ones that can prove that their content is good enough and can attract enough attention that people are willing to pay for it. So, only the people that have subscriptions will stay alive, but they're still struggling.
0: Well, and if you look at uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post, just to name two, and the strides that those two newspapers have made when it comes to digital subscriptions, the Washington Post is no longer a a public company, but you can sort of read the tea leaves of uh, of their business, Mm -hmm. particularly since Jeff Bezos bought them. And see that they appear to be having a, a similar level of success that the New York Times, which is a public company, is having in terms of digital subscriptions. Uh, the other thing, which which is not a part of this, and this is this is something that has nothing to do with Google or Facebook and has everything to do with Craigslist, and that is want ads. Newspapers, as you said, yeah. once upon a time newspapers had. This locality by locality monopoly on print advertising and want ads. And Craigslist came along and just absolutely decimated that for the newspaper industry. And that was such a cash machine for so right. many newspapers. So that's another thing that's not, you know, I mean, even if this is successful for newspapers. Even let's let's say that Congress totally backs them on this. Let's say that everything breaks their way. They're still not going to get back to close to the levels of profit profitability that they had when their want ad sections were really fat.
1: No, not at all. And I do think that there will be a shakeup also, in the sense that new business models will emerge, meaning that new players will emerge too. So, I think a lot of times the traditional players have a really hard time changing their plans to fit how things will work in the future, but that also creates a void for those who are more social media native, like the BuzzFeeds of the world, to also kind of take over and carve out some space for themselves.
0: So, Every once in a while, I I like to just walk by your desk and just ask you, "What are you working on now? what's What's something that's caught your interest?" And you had uh, brought up this, (laughs) (laughs) frankly, you brought up a word I'd never heard before, and that is uh, CRISPR, or I should say, an acronym I'd never seen before: CRISPR, C R I S P R, which stands for, stick with me, folks, stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. Let's do this again, shall we? CRISPR, (laughs) clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats, which is essentially uh, a a very fancy way of referring to uh, uh, biotech engineering. Uh, And and the analogy that uh, our colleague Michael Douglas uh, mentioned to me, and also appeared in an article I read, is that imagine a DNA strand, and you've got this microscopic pair of scissors, and it enables you to sort of like snip out. Um, uh, one little piece of the DNA, and you can do any number of things with that, depending on which yeah. DNA we're talking about. So this this potentially um, has ramifications for food supply, um, for disease, uh, for medicines, for treatments, all that sort of thing. Um, Tell me where this space is right now, and sort of what you're watching when it comes to this space. When we because I mean, biotech engineering um, has been I, I would say maybe not at the forefront of the news, but certainly uh, 15 year or so years ago, when we're going to sequence you know the human genome, that, when that was such a dominant story. I think since then, this is an industry that investors have at least had on their radar to some degree or another.
1: Right? So I think it's still new enough to not be super relevant for investors, but every day or week that passes by, it becomes slightly more relevant. And I think I think for the most part, the progress has been mostly restricted to labs, just getting like the fundamental technology itself to work, where you can actually change the genes in, in whatever creature. Um, but it, it is starting to move out more into the mainstream and it's starting to become more relevant and creating um, cures for diseases and actually doing things with it. And in my opinion, this it, it's kind of like a big idea at this point, there isn't a lot to back it up. But if you do play it forward, it is one of those really big ideas that's probably on par with augmented reality or machine learning or, Cryptocurrencies, even that can just disrupt the way that things are done at a fundamental level. Um, So I'm excited to see where it runs, but still, definitely the early days.
0: So yeah, and that was that was another thing Michael Douglas mentioned. He said, "Look, this is this is super early stage, and there are." Pure play companies out there, one of which uh, was smart enough to get the name CRISPR Therapeutics. So kudos to whoever did that, whoever nailed that one. Uh, But you were saying before we started taping that um, there's a move right now to sort of create a a patent pool because Mm -hmm. you could see where this would get. You could see where. For some companies, this could become incredibly lucrative. Right. You could also see a situation where, and it sounds like this is maybe part of what is driving the move towards a patent pool, you could see where this everything could just get tangled up in legal, he said, she said, that's my patent stuff.
1: Right. Well, one of the the main blockers to the development of CRISPR is an ongoing fight over patent rights. So, I think we are at the point where things are going slow and getting caught up legally and as you can imagine i mean there are several universities labs biotech companies just just like clamoring over this really just trying to pile on as quickly as possible because it is going to be one of the next big things and right now there are a few exclusive licenses that are probably too broad in the market and should probably be reevaluated so that there aren't just specific gatekeepers to the technology and so so yeah this needs to to form a patent pool and simplify the licensing process could ease that patent logjam, so to speak, and really help accelerate CRISPR's development across, across everything, across the entire space. And so, right now, this is more still at the proposal level, and I don't know how quickly that's going to move, just because there are a lot of players here. Um, so there still is negotiation to be done, but if the negotiations go well, I think that this could start to become much more relevant for investors sooner, and something with the biospec biotech space in general is that you do need to invest early to get the big results and if you wait until there is a drug on the market that works, you just miss a several billion dollar run up. So it is important to be watching these these early moves and seeing how all the different players, the the Editas, the CRISPR therapeutics and, and others are how how they're gonna shake out in this patent uh, pool issue.
0: But it sounds like, as investors, we should be rooting for the patent pool to come to fruition because that's going to accelerate the process. And instead of being maybe, and I'm just pulling these numbers out of thin air, instead of being 10 years away from treatments being in the market, we are five to seven years away.
1: Yeah, so I think it's hard to put specific numbers on it, but yes, that's definitely the idea. It'll allow companies to more quickly start building their own technologies and their own patents on top of a larger pool that's available to everyone.
0: And just uh, to, to make this uh, both more real and more fun, just one example that I dug up when I was uh, clicking around this morning. An article from Scientific American, which is six years old, by the way. I'm I'm angry that that no one in my life uh, flagged this article for me. But it was basically how researchers took the fluorescent proteins that appear in uh, jellyfish genes and inserted them into a house a common household cat, and so, boom, glow in the dark cat. Who I mean who's not excited about that what else I, can you ask for well actually our man behind the glass Dan boy when I mentioned that to him he was like no I don't know I, I have no interest <laughs> in a glow in the dark cat that's just they're, they're enough trouble as they are at nighttime so add the glow in the dark fe- feature and that's that's not sweetening the deal for me um, really interesting stuff so definitely definitely something to keep an eye on Aaron Bush thanks for being here thank you as always people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and the motley Fool may have. Formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.